But if you, re, if you remember, if you've been here, we've been studying this, uh, this little letter to the Thessalonian, Thessalonian church, and I just want to get us um, a, little back, a little background as we jump into the end of chapter 2 here. You know, Luke wrote uh, an historical account of the church. You know it as the book of Acts. And uh, it's great because we have all these letters that Paul wrote, and they fit into that historical account. So we can go back and we can look at the history of what's going on as we look at the, the letter them, letters themselves. But in chapter 16 of, of Acts, we find Paul and his friends in what is today Western Turkey. Now, you know we have a, a Turkish flag up here, and we also have someone who's ministering in a little bit further east in Turkey, in the great city of Istanbul. But Paul found himself in the city of Troas. They had been meandering through what is today Turkey, and um, it's in Troas that Paul has a vision. And in that vision, a man from Macedonia, so it must have been his appearance, but a man from Macedonia says, come over and help us. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke is, is, is a part of it by that time. They say, this must be what the Lord has in mind. He must have work for us to do in Macedonia. So they start moving to Macedonia. And the first place they come to is Philippi. And at Philippi, they see the church started. It's just a small group. Group of women is where it started. They see the church started and true to form, as is normally the case. Paul gets kicked out. He endures beatings. He endures imprisonment. And then he's kicked out. And he's sent out from Philippi. And they make their way to Thessalonica, passing through a couple of towns, and they make it to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, Paul goes, as is his habit, to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. He always starts, where there's a synagogue, he always starts with the Jewish synagogue. And he goes into the synagogue, and for three Saturdays, that's their Sabbath, for three Saturdays, he reasons with them. From the Old Testament, what we have is the Old Testament, he reasons with them from the Old Testament, showing them that the Messiah, the Jews are, are looking for the Messiah, the Messiah must suffer and must be raised to life. And then he says, this Jesus whom we proclaim is that Messiah. And the text says that some of the Jews believed. And then it says, but many of the God-fearing Greeks, uh, people more like us probably, Jews and Gentiles, so the Gentiles, many of the Gentiles believed along with not a few of the leading women. And another church is born. Another church is created there in Thessalonica. And that's, those are the folks that our letter is going to, that Paul is writing to, is this flock, this little group of people. And of course, true to form, the Jews who were leaders of that synagogue became jealous of the work of the Spirit in raising up people to Christ 
a family, a church, and people were going to this place, the numbers were growing, and they get irritated, and they stirred up Thessalonica into a foreman. I mean, they were just, there were rabble-rousers that it says in the text there in Acts, and they stirred up a crowd. And, of course, Paul and his folks have to leave. And they left suddenly. But this, this group there in Thessalonica are continuing to stir things up and cause tribulation and hurt for this new little group of believers. Well, Paul and his group, they continue on. The next city, which is Berea. And in Berea, does the same thing. He goes into the synagogue. And it says in that place, the Jews were more noble. They, they, they wanted to study. They opened their, their Old Testament. They, they gathered around the scrolls and they studied the very things that Paul was, was saying was true. And you know what? Some believed. And guess what happened? Word got 45 miles back to Thessalonica that some were believing that a new, a new group was forming. So here come these folks who are making all this trouble all the way to Berea, stir up the city, and Paul gets sent out once again. This time he has to go to Athens. And it's in Athens that we pick up um, this, this text. Um, well, actually, the letter is actually going to be written from Corinth, but we're going to find um, Athens actually mentioned in our text. So Paul is sent away to Athens. He doesn't have a chance to return to Thessalonica and strengthen that group of believers as was his custom. So this new little group of believers with very little biblical teaching, we don't know how long he was there. It says he was three Sabbaths in the synagogue, but he could have been longer overall. We don't, we don't know. Um, but this new little group of, of believers um, with very little biblical teaching are suffering for what they believe. And Paul is worried about them. He's worried that Satan is going to get the upper hand and snatch faith from them. And so and in Athens, after prayer, Pastor Lewis mentioned this already, in much prayer, they decide to send young Timothy it's a young group of believers. He's going to send young Timothy um, back into the fray in Thessalonica to establish and exhort these young believers in the faith. So Timothy has gone to Thessalonica. He's seen what God is doing in Thessalonica among the believers. He's done some teaching. He's done some exhorting. And he has come back and found Paul now moved from Athens to Corinth. Now Paul's teaching in Corinth, and he finds Paul in Corinth. And what Timothy found was that the gospel has worked powerfully in the lives of these believers, changing their lives from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. From a life that would flee from persecution to a life that embraces persecution for the sake of what is true. The gospel has powerfully changed them and turned them into 
stewards of the kingdom. (laughs) A kingdom in which they work hard in the midst of persecution to love one another and to love those around them as they wait for the return of the king, King Jesus. Paul, his joy knows no bounds. We're going to see that in this text in just a moment. His joy knows no bounds. He's overcome with gratitude to God for the good work that God is doing in their lives. And his desire is to get right back to Thessalonica in order that he might teach, strengthen, add to their faith so that they might stand and hold on until the day that Christ returns. Do you hear the work that is needed in the kingdom to establish the faith in our own hearts? Do you hear that? This is what Paul is writing about in this text, and we're going to read it in just a moment. While this is not a text in which Paul is teaching us love is patient, love is kind, love is, no, he's not teaching us per se, it's a text in which we can draw out inferences that should help us as we walk like Paul and the Thessalonians in this same kingdom narrative with the lives that God has given to us Many of you are raising children, right? Yeah, just a few. Uh And your longing is to see them walking with Christ. Is not Paul in this text appealing for his children or to his children here to grow up in the faith? That'll be something to learn. Many of you are leaders and have responsibility for others Is not Paul in this text demonstrating his leadership model and his deep concern for those who are given to him? And all of us are in a spiritual battle. We are wrestling against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. We are wrestling against spiritual forces of evil. Is not Paul fighting in this text the same battle in prayer and discerning the schemes of the devil? He is. So I want you to turn now and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start there in verse 17. I'm going to read the first section through 3, 5, and uh, then we'll comment just a few notes on this. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. (laughs) Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. 
that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Well, there's a delightful sense of stewardship in this passage that I want us to see and apply to our own life situations. Paul's words here in 2, 19 through 20 are remarkable. (laughs) They're remarkable because they imitate his Lord in his concern for those who are given to him. Paul knows that each of these believers who have believed through the teaching message of the gospel are his children. They are God's, but they have been entrusted to him. He's working very, very hard and investing in them with every resource that has been given to him. He calls them his glory and his joy. Hmm. You know, the Apostle John, um, in his third letter, wrote to Gaius, and he said, Gaius, I have no greater joy, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy. Paul has learned from his Lord Jesus that all of these believers are the fruit of God's work. They are God's, but they have been entrusted to him. Jesus said the very same thing in John 17. Listen to Jesus. He says, I have given them. He's talking to his father. I have given them the words that you gave me. Are you doing that with your children? So Paul was doing with the Thessalonians. And they have received them. Hallelujah. A church is born. A family in Christ. They have received them. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. You see Paul. Praying, praying, praying. This is Jesus. I am praying for them. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, Jesus says. And I am glorified in them. They are my glory and my joy. I am glorified in them. Holy Father, keep them in your name. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. I've guarded them, but now I am coming to you. Keep them from The evil one. You hear it again. That spiritual battle that we as Americans have no clue. We we think, it's just all about this life and what we can see. No, we know, Jubilee, don't we? We know there's a spiritual battle. We know there's an enemy that rages against us and against any that we might have influence in their lives. Oh, he desires to keep faith far from them. So like Jesus, his Lord and example, Paul loved these that were given to him. 
Where's your love focus, Jubilee? Paul was willing to work hard and to keep them from the evil one, just like his Lord, Jesus. He also delighted in them. They were his investment, and he loved to watch that investment grow. We think it's a delightful thing to see money grow on the market. No, here's a real investment. Here's an investment that as it grows, it has benefit forever and ever and ever. That's a real investment, Jubilee. They were his investment, and he loved to watch that investment grow, that he might one day present that investment to the one to whom, and catch this, to the one to whom the investment belonged. The investment. You're just a steward of what God has given to you, your children, your friends, your, your, your neighbors, your co-workers. It's an investment, but you're just a steward of it. God is the owner of it. So Paul was a steward, and he was a wise steward. He invested with all his might into the lives of his children. He knew the eternal war that was waging for their souls, and he knew that Satan, the deceiver, would use any means possible to divert them from the truth. Guys, it hasn't changed. It's the same battle that we face today with those over whom God has given us influence. Did Paul worry about them? You better believe it. You, of course he worried about them, but in the best possible manner. Listen to it. He looked for ways to strengthen their faith. He sent Timothy to work in their lives. He wrote them letters. And he gave himself to prayer. He gave himself to prayer because he knew that only God can change a heart and create faith in children, His children. What you see here is a great picture of the life that we are given, both in our responsibility for others and in our opportunity to bear the burdens of those with whom we are given a little bit of influence in these days given to us. And I want you to notice something that's really important here. Two times Paul mentions in the text we read, he mentions the adversary who seeks to destroy. In the first instance, the adversary is keeping Paul from going back to Thessalonica. Sorry, Lou, I'm struggling over that one too. I'll tell you. Thessalonica to strengthen the disciples. And you might think, well, no, Paul's just probably using that because he's a little afraid to go back to Thessalonica. No way. You remember what happened at Lystra? They, they stoned the dude. They, they, they stoned him and they left him on the road as dead. He gets up. He goes back into Lystra, cleans him up a little bit, and they send him on. And where does he go? Derby. He goes to Derby, sees the church planted in Derby, and then what does he do? Catch a boat to Athens? No. He goes back to Lystra. And in Lystra, he strengthens the little nucleus where he's just been stoned. He strengthens the, the, 
Lystrians, the, the folks of Lystra. He strengthens them, appoints elders, and moves on. And guess who's with him on this journey? Who's writing this letter to the Thessalonians? Who's gone to Thessalonica? It's Timothy. And where did Timothy come from? Lystra. Do you see? Do you see the, the, the beauty of God at work in and through your lives? It's a delightful thing to be a part of the kingdom. I'll start preaching here in a minute, and, and then I'll get off, to, off track. So let me keep going here. <laughs> Paul knew that he was in a spiritual battle for the lives of these believers. And he knew that a very real and powerful enemy was working against him. And he feared this enemy might have used the chaos of persecution. What does that chaos look like in your life? A marriage that's struggling? What does that chaos look like? The enemy is going to try to use it to destroy your faith. He knew that the enemy might use the chaos of persecution to cause their faith to, ca- to, to cave in, to fail. He says, to be moved by these afflictions. So are you aware, Jubilee? Are you aware of the battle for the faith of your children? And I use children loosely here. Be they given to you in your home? Maybe they're given to you at JYC, your children. Are you thinking about the raging battle for the faith of those that you're connected with at work? Those who see your life daily and hear your words. You may not be given a a big congregation. You may be just given one or two. Praise God. It's your children. Are you aware of the spiritual battle? Are you aware that an enemy rages and seeks to deceive and destroy faith? Paul reminds us here by inference rather than teaching of the battle that rages. Truly, as he said in Ephesians 6, truly we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look at our text again um, there in chapter 3, verse 6. Let me just read these last few verses here. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress, all the affliction that we have, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God, for our God, as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Well, again, we hear, we hear Paul's excitement. We hear his joy, um, the joy of one receiving good news that the investment has not been in vain. Investment has not been in vain. 
Whether you're working right here in, in Minneapolis and you're working with people that just, it doesn't seem like they're very interested. Paul knew the investment would not be in vain. The investment of his life would not be in vain. But it would produce the very fruit that God intends in the work that He's giving to you. I don't know if you know the story of the Ten Boom family. Um, during World War II, they, they lived in Holland. Holland was occupied. Um, and um, they were very concerned, a very, very God-fearing family, very concerned for the Jewish people. And so they became a part of a network that actually gave life to almost 800 people. Can you believe it? Almost 800 people passed through that network of which they were, they were a part, an integral part. And they had a, a hiding place, they called it, in their home there in, uh, in uh, um, Holland. And eventually, the, uh, the, the secrecy crumbled and they were arrested. And they were, there were two sisters. One was uh, Corey and one was Betsy. And Corey is in prison now. She's, uh, she's, you know, it's a rat-infested, yucky place. I mean, we're talking about tribulation. We're talking about persecution, right? I mean, this is kind of a rough place to be. She gets a letter. She gets a letter in the mail. And um, they're watchmakers. That's what they did for a profession. They're very precise people. And she looks at the letter. It's addresses from her family. She looks at the letter and she notices that the stamp is kind of turned at an angle. And she goes, no, we don't do that. We're watchmakers. We're precise people. There's got to be a reason for that. And certainly her mail had been opened and everything had been read, right? So she carefully peels the stamp off. And underneath the stamp, it says, all watches safe. Those who had been hiding in her home when the authorities had broken in and taken them to prison made it to safety. Here's Corey in this rat-infested prison glorifying God, praising God. Why? Because her investment had not been in vain. God had accomplished the very purpose for which He had put it in the heart of Corey and her family to build that hiding place in the first place. This is Paul's joy. His investment in the Lord is not in vain. And I hope you can see that for your family. I hope you can see that for your co-workers. I hope you can see that for any place where God's given you a little bit of influence. Keep going. Don't give up. Your investment is not in vain in the Lord. God was working at Thessalonica to establish His church. So what does this news of great joy and effective ministry in the lives of the Thessalonians do to Paul? Should have taken a vacation, shouldn't he? <laughs> We're done. God has worked. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Let's go party. No. What does he do? He turns to prayer. And he turns to, okay, now, how, how can we get, get, us, get more of us over there? How can we get back there? to strengthen their faith and to enable them. Paul, does, Paul, he believed that God was able to do this work. But he also realized that God had given him a stewardship. A way, God was going to work through him to bring about 
his purposes in the Thessalonians. Paul knew that every gracious work was a gift from God. Verses 11 through 13 remind us that God is the one who is at work to bring about the increase and the growing faith evidenced in love for one another. Paul knew this. He knew that in the mystery of God, God had, he had been, Paul had been entrusted with these dear people, and that through his faithful labor, God would establish them in holiness at the coming of the king. Well, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward and said, five, five talents, master, I have five talents more. You delivered to me these five. Here, I have made five more. And his master said to him, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Did God answer Paul's prayer here at the end? He lived with this assurance that having begun a good work, God would complete that work. And so he encouraged all continually not to grow weary in doing good, the work of the kingdom, because in due season they would reap if they did not give up. But I want you to know that Paul didn't see the faces of those Thessalonians for five more years at least. Lord, hasten our return. Hasten our return to them and do your work. Five years. And the Lord brought it about. And he was able to return. And he was able to strengthen. And he was able to encourage. The Lord's timetable is often not our own. But he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Because in due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Paul's desire was to pray, exhort, teach, write, visit, all to the end of helping the Thessalonians remember the gospel message with their daily lives until the return of King Jesus. They had turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom he had raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so I want to invite you, Jubilee, in the next few moments of communion, I want to invite you to consider once again the gospel. The gospel. Jesus Christ, the living and true Word of God, offering His body to you as true food, <laughs> true food from the Father to be believed in and treasured and proclaimed with your lives. And think, think on His life poured out for the life is in the blood, right? The life is in the blood. Pour out the blood and there's no more life. Think on his life poured out 
for you so that in his death you might know life with the Father and the abundance of power in the Spirit to overcome the rebellion of your flesh. And the deceitfulness of the devil as you wait for the return of the King of Kings, like these Thessalonians, waiting for the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we want to remember together and proclaim together the gospel. Lewis, will you come and lead us in this time?